Well, last week, the elders set forth a goal, uh, uh, hoping that we would be able to uh, bless some, some young kids in uh, New Mexico uh, at the children's home. And so uh, they, we, we announced that we would like to reach $6,000. Uh, and on Wednesday night, Lance and I announced that we were at 1900 and somebody raised their hand and said, I'll make it to 2000 so we can put an extra box up there. And so I've tallied the results thus far. We're planning on collecting until the 20th. So how, how, how did we do? Yeah, we're over 6000 Yeah, okay, we're at 7,000 now, uh, and so that exceeds uh, our, our goal, uh, but we'll still give you, if you would like to have an opportunity, if you have planned, I've, I've spoken to a, a one family in particular that said that we kind of planned exactly what we wanted to do and how are we going to, uh, how much we want to give, and so their family as a whole were preparing to give. We're not going to turn that away because we know that there are still other opportunities at the children's home. Uh, so as it stands now, we're going to have an opportunity to get a, a gift card uh, to the almost 120 uh, children uh, plus single parent homes uh, and um, uh, house parents. Uh, and so we're going to send that along. But if you'd still like to give, uh, we're going to contact the children's home and ask if there's anything that the children's home as a group would like, whether it's a, I don't know, a trampoline or whatever. But if there's something else that we can provide them with to give a little joy for the kids uh, this Christmas, we, we want to offer that. But just thank you all so, so very much. We're I'm just overwhelmed that in, in one week, we reached our goal. And so I just, all glory goes to God. Uh, he, he receives the glory. But thank you so much for helping be a part of that. So that is super exciting news. Last week, we left Nancy Kerrigan on the floor, writhing in pain, clutching her knee. With tears running down her face, she kept crying out, Why me? Why now? Less than 48 hours later, the trials to determine which two female figure skaters would represent the U.S. in the 1994 Olympics would take place. Her lifelong dream of competing for a medal that day lay on the ground just like her broken body. Due to her injury sustained in the attack, Nancy was unable to participate in the tryouts just two days later. As a result, her rival would take first place and be named on the Olympic team. The Olympic Committee decided to name Nancy as the second competitor in hopes that she might recover. As Tanya Harding's ex-husband, her rival, was arrested for being involved in the attack, rumors began to mount. The committee intended to remove and replace Tanya, but she threatened an appeal and to file a lawsuit. Amazingly, after the attack, Nancy only suffered bruising and was able to compete in the Olympics just six weeks later. 
at the competition, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan set the ratings record as the drama unfolded. And at one point, some of you may remember both of them practicing on the ice at the same time. Harding's performance was a drama in and of itself. She broke down crying after one of the laces on her skates broke. She went and begged the judges for another try, but even after being allowed to restart, Harding wasn't able to pull herself together, and she finished eighth. Nancy Kerrigan took home a silver medal, missing out on the gold medal by one-tenth of, of a point. It was one of the greatest comebacks of all time. Tanya Harding was later stripped of all her medals and was never allowed to compete again. The 2013 America's Cup was virtually over. The $10 million boat named the Oracle and her crew had one win and eight losses in a best of 17 series. Most of their losses, they crossed the finish line at least a minute behind the New Zealand team. They had a better chance of winning the lottery than winning that competition. The next race, they made a turnaround and managed to win number 10. Then they won race 11 and 12 and 13. Over the next six days, they did the impossible, winning eight straight races and going from 1 and 8 to 9 and 8 and winning the coveted America's Cup. It was one of the greatest comebacks of all time. In 2016, the dream was over, at least for the fans of the Cubs. Chicago was destined to spend yet another year under the curse of the Bambino. They hadn't won a World Series in 108 years, and it wasn't going to happen this year either. Down three games to one and already behind game five, they needed a miracle. The Cubs would rally back to win game five. They would dominate game six. But in game seven, as the ninth inning concluded, it was tied. They would go into extra innings of game ten. And with a two-run inning, the Chicago Cubs would break their their losing series for over a century. It was the greatest, it was one of the greatest comebacks of all time. It was Passover. As many Jews sat down to celebrate a meal and remember their storied past, a small group of followers wandered back to a room with no appetite for a meal and no hope for a future. The sun was down. The body was buried. All hope was lost. The man who meant everything to them and could almost do anything was dead. No more miracles. No more teaching. No more hope. Jesus was dead. Their hopes, their dreams, 
their rabbi, their friend. It was all gone. He was gone. It was over. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the end of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white and a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered His words. So Mary came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, but we don't know where they have put Him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. When he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, then the, then the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, 
they gave the soldiers a large sum of money saying, Here uh, you are to say this. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets back to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews even to this very day. While the disciples were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking, This is a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you have such doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones just uh, as I do. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus then told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Blessed are every one of you here, all of you out there and all over the world, the ones who are alive now and those who lived thousands of years ago. Blessed are those who have not seen but still believe. That's right. This is one of those phrases that transcends 
all time and space. This is not a single statement only meant for Thomas and those in that area and those who lived around who heard about Jesus but didn't see Him. This goes on forever. Blessed are you that you believe but you haven't seen. You don't have the evidence. You didn't put your hands next to His hands. You didn't feel His side, but you still believed. Blessed are you that you have not seen, but you believe. That is the greatest blessing ever. Do you want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. Do you know how we're blessed as a people? Because we believe even when we don't see. No body. No empty tomb. No appearance of Jesus standing before us. And yet, here we are, thousands of years later, singing to and worshiping and praying about a Jew who lived 2,000 years ago who we claim changed the world when he rose from the dead. Blessed are you who have not seen and you have believed. What does blessed actually mean? If you go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's the same word used. It means happy. Happy are you who have not seen, but you believe. What makes you happy? A winning lottery ticket? A promotion? A vacation? Retirement? What makes you happy? Happy are those who have not seen and they believe. You're not blessed because you win the lottery. You're blessed because you believe that Jesus is alive. Blessed doesn't mean that you're fortunate, you're lucky, you're wealthy, or that you're healthy. Blessed means that you have this joy. A joy that can't be contained or suppressed. It can't be tamped down. It can't be taken away. It can't be covered up. It can't be lessened. It can't be drowned. 2020 can not stop the joy that you have because you believe in a God who rose from the dead even though you didn't see Him. That is joy. Blessed means that we are happy. We don't know what will happen tomorrow, but we know that Jesus is alive. And for that reason, we are happy. We don't know if we're going to make it out of 2020, 
but we know that Jesus will. We might get COVID, but you definitely have Christ. It's not possible to be a Christian. It is not possible to be a Christian and be asymptomatic. It doesn't work that way. You can't carry Christ in your life and not have joy even in 2020. You can walk around in this pandemic and be asymptomatic for Corona. You can't walk around in this world with Christ in your life and it not change how you live and how you look. How you act and how you speak. Christ changes that. COVID can take away your taste and your smell. But nothing, nothing can take away from believers the joy that we have in Jesus. Everything that we're dealing with is temporary. It's not going to last. For some of us, it will be months. For some of us, it will be years. For some of us, it will be decades. But at some point, all the things that we have around us will pass. It will be gone. And Jesus is going to look at us and He's going to say, Blessed are you that you believed when you couldn't see. There's a lot of things we can see. And almost all of it seems to be really bad right now. Blessed are you. Happy are you. That you believe things that you can't see. That you're absolutely infected with Christ Jesus. can't be asymptomatic if you believe in Jesus you can find joy even in bad years even in dark times even in hospital rooms because the promise of God was this you can't lose oh death where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of Jesus, we have joy. Folks, we're walking around in bodies that are going to pass. And we're going to be given brand new bodies that don't hurt, that aren't facially deformed, that don't ache that don't break down and deteriorate. That's what we're going to get. 
That's the promise. Because you believe even though you don't see. Doesn't that get you a little excited? We don't have to be afraid. When everybody says, you're going to die, you're going to die, this is terrible, hang on, do whatever you can to live. Jesus says, I promise you, you will rise again. Because I rose again. And you are too. Nothing can take away that. No matter how terrible your life here is in this body, you are going to leave it and you're going to get a new body and you're going to be with your Father and your Creator and your Redeemer forever and ever and ever. This means a lot to me. I'm in this weird part of my life where I've just now realized it's not going to get better physically. Like, I'm in that point. I know. I'm, I'm experiencing pains that I haven't felt before. Like, I walk around and my knees are popping and I'm aching more. I've, I've gotten to a point in my life when I was from age 2 to about 25, I could eat anything I wanted. I ate everything. No one could out-eat me. And I couldn't gain weight. I glance at a piece of bread and I gain weight. I've just now got to a point in my life I cannot eat after 6 p.m. Because it bothers me. People used to tell me that. Well, when you get older, I have to stop eating at 6. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I wake up at 2 in the morning and go eat three burritos. And like, I'm, I'm, that helps me go back to sleep. My body's wearing out. I'm forgetting things. I can't run like I used to. I can't eat like I used to. I can't remember like I used to. Or at least I think I used to remember. I can't remember. But listen, it doesn't matter. This body's going to die. It's going to wilt away. I don't know how long I have, but I don't care. Because I've got a promise that's better than anything else. I'm not afraid. We don't have to be afraid. There's people that we love that aren't with us anymore. And we miss them. But we know that they've got that new body and that new life and the promise that God gave to them. Blessed are you who have not seen, but you believe. And so I'm going to ask you this. I've been excited about this particular week. What did Jesus do? Jesus rose. I've been excited about this for a long time because I really believe that what Jesus did here not only changed the course of His life, it not only changed the course of those Jews that were following Him and the Gentiles who would follow Him forever and ever, from now all the way up to us and beyond, it changes everything. Now folks, if we can't find joy in a God who promises, promises us life everlasting, then we're missing something. Don't miss this one. We have joy. And I know it sounds crazy. And I know we have lots of folks who are hurting. Like I just... As Tim was praying and he said all those names of people that I love and I'm, I'm aware of many of their situations and there's a lot of heartache and hurt involved. 
But God made a promise to those people. And He made a promise to us. Don't be afraid. Be joyful. Because when Jesus rose again, He said, you will too. Jesus is alive today. Right? Jesus is alive today. We can leave this place. And we can talk about quarantines. And we can talk about COVID. And we can talk about cancer. And we can talk about heartache and loss and hardship. Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. Happy are those. Happy are those who have not seen but they believe. This is the hope that we have. We're just a few weeks away from celebrating the birth of Jesus. But hold on to the fact that we have joy because this world is not all there is. We're about to sing a song uh, of invitation. I pray that for you it's a song of encouragement. That, that this few minutes that we've spent together this morning will remind you that you can make it through because of Jesus and His resurrection. And the Holy Spirit that He's given to us to make it through 2020, 2021 and all the 20s that come after that. Blessed are you because you have not seen, but you believe.